0: Hey Husky fans, welcome back to 4th and Inches, a Husky podcast from Sports Illustrated Husky Maven channel. My name is Trevor Mueller and with me is Michael Hanna. He is part of the UCLA B-team podcast. Um, thanks for coming on the show, Michael.
1: Oh, my absolute pleasure. Looking forward to uh, talking some college football finally. He's <laughs> swung around for us, right?
0: Absolutely. And and it's, it, it's really a nice uh, respite from Uh, Really, you know, COVID-19 and and everything that goes along with that, finally getting back to having games, you know, about a week away now is is just a really, really good feeling. So let's jump right into it. We got Chip Kelly in his third year at UCLA. Um, So far, maybe not what uh, UCLA Nation was hoping for. Kind of what's the state of the program right now?
1: I don't think you have a very happy fan base right now. Um, You hire Chip Kelly. It's the first time that UCLA has ever gone all in on football. It's just one of those hires where even in retrospect, you had to make it just because it is Chip Kelly. It's the biggest fish on the market. Nobody knew what was coming from him. Or if you did, then you had far greater insight into it than, um, or you're more prescient than other people were. But at the end of the day, um, that kind of buzz carried UCLA, his first class of recruiting, his first game against Cincinnati, they just lay an egg. We don't know that Cincinnati is going to become one of the best power five teams in the country in that moment. But from there, you know, three and nine first season, then last year they go four and eight, but watching the quality of play, it almost feels like they took a step back. It's just the weirdest thing to say. But, um, if you want to make the argument that they are like swimming in place with the tide against them, like that might be the way to go, but either way, um, it's not a very happy fan base. It's very snarky about all the Chip Kelly-isms that they loved at first where he would talk about like growing bamboo and a bunch of other crap and it'd be like, oh man, he's so wise and now it's just oh, he's full of it and uh, there's not many very, there's not many uh, happy people with Chip right now. Um, he, this is his chance to turn it around, I guess, but I mean, uh, the schedule that they were going to have this year pre-COVID versus what they were served up from the Pac-12 post-COVID is just not um, not doing him any fav- favors either. So, yeah, but it's kind of uh, hope for the best, but kind of expecting the worst at this point, unfortunately to say.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it, it really was evident with their crossover game that the powers that be at the, uh, the PAC 12 uh, don't think this UCLA team's going to be very good. It was pretty evident that they, they, hi- they, they really targeted the teams that they saw as the best in the PAC 12 and gave them uh, a little bit of an easier of a crossover game. And uh, UCLA unfortunately got the brunt of that.
1: Yeah, they greased it for Oregon, didn't they? Jeez. Yes, they did. Oh, man. Yeah,
0: the storyline isn't as intriguing. Chip Kelly coming back to Otzen when Otzen's not going to have anybody there, so mm. it's definitely more of a uh, let's protect. And the ones that the, the only teams that maybe have a little bit of a gripe would probably be Cal um, with their mm. crossover game where. Uh, they didn't necessarily get the easiest of crossovers, but um, we're not here to talk about Cal. Um, So the fan base obviously is not happy. I'm not happy. I've kind of, I was on the UCLA bandwagon a little bit last year. I had them going six and six. They were a part of the most entertaining game of the season last year, (laughs) but without that, they're three and nine, man. So uh, where is the program right now when it comes to competing for a South championship?
1: That's just not even on the radar right now. Um, it's literally get back if you get back to 500 uh, with the schedule that they have with base. Which I mean, they get Oregon as their crossover game, and then they get the Pac-12 South. Which you can argue there's a couple schools in the Pac-12 South that have either taken a step back, or you don't know anything about them. But right. you have other schools in the in the division who have are arguably gotten stronger. USC, Arizona State. Um, if they get to 500 with what they have in front of them and what we kind of anticipate from this offense losing Joshua Kelly not knowing what a junior DTR is going to look like obviously Dorian Thompson Robinson the junior quarterback up the rising junior quarterback for UCLA you hope he looks better but uh, we shall see um, losing their star tight end Devin Asiasi and not really having a ready-made replacement on the roster and then you go to the defense where you've lost your entire linebacker core from a defense that was basically just like playing against air last year I mean (laughs) just it, it's a new defensive scheme uh, They're going to a four-two-five now As opposed to a 3-4 last year They brought in Navy's co-defensive coordinator As defensive backs coach To kind of guide that transition Brian Norwood um, But there's just so much up in the air And there, there's very little reason as a UCLA fan To believe in anything without a proof of concept right now And so if they come through And they shock us Then so be it, that's great But right now uh, on our podcast The, uh, B, the UCLA B-Team podcast My co-host Nathan Eberhardt and I um. have uh we might be jumping the gun here but we have predicted sub 500 records for ucla this season so um and obviously we'll see who they get in the final uh toss-up game uh assuming they don't you know make the the, the conference championship and just shock me and everybody but uh yeah they might play stanford and lose to stanford for the 15th time in 16 seasons or whatever it friggin' is so <laughs> who knows uh yeah it's it's all up in the air it's so hard to have a definitive prediction about this team when there's no ready-made replacement for their best players the schemes are not certain and the players who you would expect to fill gaps are just unproven there's a lot up in the air
0: right and you know ucla does have something that a lot of the other pac-12 teams uh can't say and they do know who their starting quarterback is and yep. dorian thompson robinson who His high school film is electric. He was one of the top players in his class when he came out. He's shown flashes of being pretty good. I thought that in the game that he's played against Washington, he was efficient. Um, uh, They kept that game close. But, uh, you know, looking at what you have in Dorian Thompson-Robinson with, I mean, we're we're talking Garbers is back. We're talking Jaden Daniels, Keaton Slovis, are known commodities. Where do you put him in that uh, known quarterback list?
1: Oh, shoot. Okay, that's a great question. I, I mean, you have to put him below those three. His uh, his performance uh, level has not been at the level of even Jaden Daniels as a true freshman last year. Now, granted, um, Arizona State has been running uh, not, to, not to go too hard on Chip Kelly, even though it's hard to avoid at this point, but <laughs> has been running a scheme more suited to Jaden Daniels' talents than Chip Kelly has been running for DTR's talents at the sure. moment. But uh, just based on production levels, you have to put Slovis above him. You have to put Daniels. You have to put Garbers. Even um, I wasn't the biggest Chase Garbers fan until last year. Now I, he actually really impressed me last year. Agreed. So I, I would have to put him above DTR right now. Um, Colorado's not bringing anybody back. Utah's not bringing anybody back. Uh, Arizona going Grant and I'm just trying to go down the list. Uh, Washington's All replacing Eason. Yeah, 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 um, It's Davis Mills. Like, yeah, actually, it's just those four, right? Geez. Now that, now that I'm doing the math. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I have to put them at four out of four, unfortunately. Jeez. Okay. Poor DTR, but what can you do?
0: Right. And so what is the system that Chip Kelly's running any different from what he ran at Oregon and, uh, and, and how does it not necessarily fit what DTR does well?
1: That's a great question. Um, for people who are not watching UCLA very closely right now, and that really shouldn't be anybody cause it's a slot <laughs> to watch them. Um, it's, uh, take what you saw of the blur and the excitement and the pizzazz and all that kind of stuff. Just turn it completely 180 degrees. Um, take out the success of Jim Harbaugh. And that's kind of what you have essentially. It's like if Stanford under Harbaugh and Shaw wasn't very good. You have a very slow grind it down, methodical offense trying to get four yards, a clip, and just, it, it it's a ball control offense. Now um, there is potential for explosive plays that UCLA fans who have done the, film work have kind of noticed uh, there's a guy on Bruin report online named Chris Osgood who does really good work kind of pointing the stuff out opportunities that they miss for explosive plays. But in general, there really aren't that many It's besides ones that DTR might overlook now. And again, there just aren't many explosive opportunities out there. There was the one game against Washington state last year where it feels like they literally got them all out of their system and didn't leave any for any other game. Mm-hmm. Um, and besides that, like it's been a very grinded out offense, uh, Arizona state fans, um, uh, Colorado fans last year will remember that UCLA beat them by literally holding onto the ball and just pound. It, it was Bo Schembechler style mm-hmm. four yards and a cloud of dust. And so it literally is just the anti Oregon under Chip Kelly experience in every way, shape and form. And it's so jarring as a fan who was so excited about UCLA under Chip Kelly thinking, not that he was necessarily going to have all that because we know that the NFL experience was going to change him a little bit, obviously, But just completely abandoning every shred of what worked on the college level in his justification when he's been asked about it routinely is that, oh, that stuff is in the past. It doesn't work now. It's already been scouted out. Um, Tempo is not just the idea of playing slightly faster than, I don't know, a sloth doesn't seem like it's impossible to do. And it doesn't seem like it's out of style in most other places. In fact, you have Alabama Clemson, so on and so forth that have picked up their pace and seeing offensive results that we haven't seen from those schools ever as a result of it. So for Chip Kelly to kind of just be zigging where everyone else is zagging, uh, it, it almost feels like he's trying to be a football hipster in a sense. Like it's weird to say, but yeah, it's, it's the anti-Oregon experience. It, it's, it's so strange.
0: And that that's really weird. Cause you have two, uh, you, if you want to call Chip Kelly an NFL mind now, cause he spent a few mm. seasons in Philadelphia and San Francisco, but then on the other side of that coin in the South, you also have Herm Edwards who's running a ball control style offense uh, hardly loses or wins games for more than seven points Mm -hmm. yet the, the results of the way that Arizona state plays and UCLA plays is so different. And is that due to, I mean, from an outsider's perspective on Chip Kelly and somebody who disliked Chip Kelly for a long time, uh, just seems really aloof. Is, is it, is there a lack of detail? Is there a lack of, um, ingenuity with him, or uh, maybe I'm asking you too much to play psycho okay. you know, psychologist, but you know, what's going on there? Not at all.
1: Um, actually, it's a wonderful question. It's one that we've really dissected on our podcast. Um, and one of the things that we consistently harp on is that the Chip Kelly experience at Oregon involved an offense where you could probably have fit the entire playbook onto what all 10, uh, like a max two hands. Yeah. But, it, what they were doing was they were just so, so good at what they did and went at it so quickly that other teams didn't have the chance to adapt and they were gassed having to deal with it. So simplicity worked in their favor. You look at UCLA's offense, they are, their playbook must be the size of an NFL one because you have every, literally every personnel group under the sun. From five, We saw last year formations consistently in the red zone that were one running back, four tight ends. Um, And we saw those in non-red zone plays as well. And then you have your – it goes from that extreme to five wide receivers, everything else in between, um, running all sorts of concepts that we have called on our podcast and on uh, uh, various Bruin forums, they call it the flavor of the week because they literally show up one week and then they just don't appear the next regardless of whether they were good or bad. And it just really feels like everything about the idea of simplicity, efficiency, tempo – UCLA's offense is complex it's inefficient it's slow it's literally the 180 degree experience of Oregon chip and it's just it is the antithesis of anything we expected as UCLA fans not to go too hard on Chip Kelly because at the end of the day there are there are games where you could point to players not making plays and that's just you know the name of the game but uh, or that's just going to happen sometimes excuse me but um, this is college football the coach makes all the difference um, even more so than the NFL could ever dream of. The head coach really is the person from whom everything filters down in college football. And what Chip Kelly has established at UCLA is just not working yet. Maybe year three, there is some magical turnaround now that he has quote his guys who have become upperclassmen, but we, we can't know that yet because we haven't seen his guys perform yet. Most of the guys who have been productive under Chip Kelly to date have been Jim Mora legacy guys. Right. So um yeah, we shall see. I suppose or yeah, we'll see if it works out, but right now it just really isn't.
0: Right. And then on the defensive side, obviously you said uh their defense was not good last year. Um what can fans expect from the 2020 version of the Bruins defense?
1: They can expect a lot more speed on the field. What they made what they did midway last season, what they've done this off-season is made a conscious decision to sacrifice size for speed because what they were doing was trying uh, to basically have space eaters, big guys on the defensive line, eating up blocks, freeing them up for linebackers, that classic 3-4 concept. Um, it didn't work. Their big guys were slower and were just beaten to the edges or beaten to their gaps consistently. And so what they did was they took their size off the field and they put speed on the field instead from defensive line on down. And that made a small difference in the middle of the season until teams found the counter. And so now what they have done this offseason is completely changed their defensive concept from three, four to four, two, five. And they have essentially made a conscious decision to go be smaller, but quicker. The idea being that even if they get beat up by a couple of larger guys every now and again, there aren't teams in the PAC 12 that this isn't the SEC. They're not going to beat you up on size. It's usually going to be because of speed. So let's fight fire with fire. Um, the idea makes sense to me. And now it's just going to be about the execution, especially from a defensive coordinator who – and Jerry Azanaro, who through his first two seasons has earned no benefit of the doubt. And now you're relying on him to be the play caller for a scheme he's never called in his life. That is where they kind of lose me a little bit. But I – like any Bruin fan, as hard as I'm going on them right now, I hope to be wrong about all this. I would love for somebody who listens to our podcast to literally take this clip that we're doing right now and shove it back in my face come <laughs> December. But – Right now, there's no reason to believe in it.
0: So here's my gripe with UCLA when you're talking about having to switch up your scheme. And I mean, Washington runs a very similar set with uh, five defense, four or five defensive backs, a couple of defensive linemen and linebackers and outside linebackers. My, my issue with that is uh, I look at Washington where they've been recruiting really, really well, and they've been able to get those special athletes that are big and strong. And I look down at UCLA. I say down because I'm up north. Of
1: course. Uh,
0: <laughs> and no, guys, <laughs> UCLA, Los Angeles, the Rose Bowl, mm-hmm. why aren't uh, – USC had a dip last year, but they're still um, recruiting at a high level. And UCLA under Jim Morrow was one of the top recruiting programs in the, in the Pac-12 what's happened with recruiting down there? Why can't they get the big and fast guys? Um, It's
1: basically the entire, the stereotype that Oregon fans had about Chip Kelly was that he didn't like to recruit. And that was one of the reasons he was looking to leave to the NFL. Those rumors with Tampa Bay, the year after the national championship game against Oregon, and then finally taking the uh, Philly job. Uh, Recruiting was one of the things that chased him off. He just doesn't like it. Um, We've gotten all that at UCLA, except the buzz around the program has not overcome the Chip Kelly experience in the way that the Chip Kelly offense and the jerseys and the national profile and just the buzz did before in spite of Chip almost his offense obviously was a big factor, but his persona was not suited to it. He has a program that suits his persona now, very buttoned down, very quiet, no buzz whatsoever, no flash. Um, they really don't recruit the way that everybody else does. They will have their initial list of guys, uh, they almost make a conscious effort to disregard the star system to prove that they can out recruit the star system. Um, the problem is, is that they have the, the guys who they offer first, you would assume, are the ones that they believe the most in. The ones where it's like, oh, these are our no-doubters. We're going to offer them the earliest. We're going to put in the most effort. Every class, besides the first one that they had, um, which they put together in one month or a month and a half, whatever right. it was, after Mora, um, they have been beaten to their top guys, and then they would put out a, a, a set of offers to secondary recruits, essentially their backup guys, and they would get beaten for those guys. And it wouldn't be that many. If you look at offer lists, you have Oregon who literally offers any, anybody with a pulse at this point, <laughs> and you have UCLA who unless – they like UCLA is the pickiest eater when it comes to recruits of all time – And when you're picky and you have nothing to attract people in terms of buzz, in terms of showing love to the recruits, you know how they love the effort, the grind, the coach who plays Xbox with them, all that kind of stuff. Um, They don't have any of that. So they don't consistently grind the way everybody else does. They're pickier than everybody else is. They don't have the selling points that everybody else does in terms of one loss in player development on the field. And they just get out, they, um, they have disregarded all the things that go into the modern recruiting enterprise. And there's bad on top of it. You don't put in the effort. You don't want to do the recruiting, and you're not good on the field. You're not going to get the guys that you want. And this was really summed up for me so perfectly. I don't think it was this most recent recruiting class, but it was the one before. There was uh, a linebacker out of the state of Washington, and Lord knows I don't remember his name. Uh, but he chose to take a walk-on offer from Washington over a scholarship offer from UCLA. I think you can all talk about but the name is not coming to me right now.
0: Um. Gosh. Uh from the state of Washington?
1: From the state of Washington signed with UW as a walk on rather than take a UCLA scholarship offer.
0: You know, I thought you were gonna go Miles Bryant, who uh Oh
1: no, no uh, the uh, tight end
0: who spurned UCLA? The uh, he was a. d I can't think of the tight end. Uh, oh. he was a defensive oh, back was it, was that Hunter Bryant was the tight end? Or Hunter Bryant, was? yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Hunter okay. Bryant um I, I'm I'm trying to think of who uh, yeah, Hunter, it came. Hunter Bryant was looking at UCLA and Washington and decided mm-hmm. to stay home. The one that I think of is a uh, is a Miles Bryant who was a defensive back uh, who grew up, you know, right in the the shadow of the Rose Bowl, um, decided to walk on at Washington instead of take that uh, UCLA offer.
1: Uh, Drew Fowler is this kid. Oh name. yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Yep.
1: Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, like that to me was everything that needs to be said about UCLA under Chip Kelly. Um, There was another – here, we'll make it even more stark. There was a kid out of Long Beach Poly, one of the uh, premier programs in Southern California, even though it's on a bit of a downturn right now. But they had a defensive back two years – two classes ago. UCLA offered him two weeks before signing day. And he got an offer from Kansas State after that took an official visit to UCLA, took an official visit in the middle of the dead of winter to Kansas state and said, you know what? I'd rather go to Manhattan, Kansas. Ooh. And I think he's transferred out of Kansas state since then. But even then it's just like they the kids aren't showing faith in UCLA because there's, they have not given them any reason to have, they haven't shown them anything to have faith in, whether it's you establish the relationships with them, you show them in player development that you can make them the best player for the NFL or that they're going to win games they're going over three right now so it's just it's just rough all around quite frankly
0: yeah and so for this season what would you consider a success
1: three and three okay. um and it saddens me that i have to say that a 500 record is successful but right now if you look at the way that their schedule breaks down they open up with colorado that could be a win um, we don't know what we're getting from Colorado, given that Colorado Durrell isn't even bringing over any of his own offensive scheme. They're just leaving it with Darren right. Um He just didn't have the time to put in his own offense, so he's just like, screw it, Let me just keep the offensive coordinator. Um, uh, we don't know what we're getting from them without Steven Montez, without Lavisca Chenault. You would think UCLA could win that game. It's at Colorado. They haven't been the best road team under Jim Kelly. They haven't been the best anything team under Chip Kelly, but especially on the road. Um, it, 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 I would call that one maybe 50, 50, maybe 55, 45 UCLA. They get Utah the next week. Once again, replacing their quarterback, replacing star running back. But are, are, is there any reason to bet against Kyle Whittingham, against Chip Kelly right now? I say no. Right. And then from there, you have, I, I think it's Oregon the next week. Even without Justin Herbert, Oregon should win that game. Sure. Um, you go on the next week. I think it's Arizona, Arizona State, uh, the back to back. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, they should maybe be Arizona, but they lost Arizona in the desert with a weaker team arizona's first start uh for grant Gannell when uh khalil tate was out they lost that game right um it's and you go down to arizona state they beat arizona state last year um that might have been the best game they've played under chip kelly quite frankly oh for and, sure and how many of those are you going to get you just and then usc should beat them usc If you look at USC's road, there is no reason if USC loses more than one game, they should be ashamed of themselves. Absolutely. and if if they don't go undefeated, maybe they should even be ashamed of themselves, but regardless.
0: I agree with you on that one. Uh, Again, they were very protected by, uh, by the the power the Pac-12. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Mike, thanks so much for coming or Michael. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, we'll, uh, we'll keep in contact with you if some crazy reason, uh, UCLA and Washington end up meeting in a Pac-12 championship or one of the lower games, we'll be sure to have you back on.
1: I'm looking forward to it when we compete for that playoff spot in December, all right? (laughs) All right, sounds good.